Never underestimate the power of vision because when you've set something in stone, you start planting the seeds, you start getting people bought in, anything is possible. I want to build the most exciting and rewarding organization in the state of Oklahoma and Northwest Arkansas for somebody under the age of 25. Personally, professionally, and financially, we want to help them become the best version of themselves. And we want to make sure that they leave here knowing that they are more prepared and more ready to take on the world and change the world as a leader. I think that when you really see people as who they can become and you help them get there, that makes the biggest difference. Nick Matlack's life and career have been built through the power of vision. His first division manager saw Nick for who he could become and promoted that vision so Nick could see it too. Drew Frank enrolled Nick as a cornerstone in a powerful vision for what would become a perennial champion division in Rocky Mountain. And Nick carried this concept over to building his district team and establishing a vision for his family and lifestyle. Now, he has a grand vision for his division team, and he continues to move towards it. We hope this conversation inspires you to see your own possibilities in business and in life. This is Cutco Vector's Great Plains Division Manager, Nick Matlack. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Nick Matlack, and he is the Great Plains Division Manager for Cutco Vector Marketing. That is Oklahoma, as well as Northwest Arkansas. Nick is a veteran of the Cutco business dating back to December of 2005, so really just the beginning of of, uh, 2006. He started with the company in New Mexico, had a great personal sales career, was a four-time college All-American during school, branched in 2007, and became a district manager in 2009. Originally, Nick was a DM in the Albuquerque area in Rio Rancho, moved up to Colorado in 2012, and has been a key cornerstone of what has become a championship organization in the Rocky Mountain Division. Nick was one of the guys that really helped to build the culture and environment of that division. This earned him a promotion in 2016. He moved to Oklahoma to take over the Great Plains Division, and he has produced over $17 million in Cutco sales. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Dan. Excited to be here. Excellent. Take us back to 2005, and it's December, and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started with Cutco. Yeah, absolutely. Never heard of Vector, never heard of Cutco before. Uh, really, I'd worked in an after-school program watching kids, done a job in landscaping. Uh, essentially, I really just needed winter work. I made a lot of money in the summer. I'm a big snowboarder, so I would blow all my cash in the fall and be broke by Christmas. <laughs> after a couple of summers of doing that in that season, in that cycle, I decided I needed to pick up winter work. So yeah, I'd received eight flyers. We used to do hand-to-hand on campus. And I uh, threw them all away, just figured it was too good to be true. And I uh, met a guy named Colin Zanker uh, at a table that day. And he convinced me to go to a same day interview at the University of New Mexico. And I saw him cut the penny with the scissors and I got pretty fired up. And, uh, and the rest is history. Got accepted and was set for training after finals and after Christmas uh, for that January program. Excellent. 
And so tell us a little bit about uh, those early days, like as a sales rep. And I know you also became an assistant manager that, that first summer as well. Tell us about that. Yeah. Great question. You know, when I started, I'm an only child. My mom and dad raised me that salespeople are the devil. I shouldn't become one. And uh, she'd had a bad experience with another sales company in the past. So you can imagine the, the common conversation is, is not that pleasant with parents. But I told him, you know, you raised me, it never hurts to try. And I said, I got nothing better to make money with. So I'm going to work hard for my winter break, give it a couple of weeks. And if I don't like it, or you don't like who I'm becoming, then I'll quit and I'll get a different job. And that really motivated me, Dan. Uh, I remember that conversation with my mom and dad where they doubted me. And I'm a firm believer that I love the feeling of proving other people wrong. So that got me a little inspired to step up and, and get going. And, and that's exactly what I did. So that first uh, two weeks, I worked really hard. I did over 50 appointments in my first 10 days of the contest we call the Fast Start at our company. And I uh, sold about 12 grand, had about 42 sales. And uh, I was going after winning a, a trip to Cancun. Back then, if you sold 10 grand in 10 days, you want a free trip for four days, three nights, all inclusive. And I had never been out of the country. So I decided I may as well work hard and I ended up doing it. So got a passport and a few months later, got to hang out with the whole Southwest region uh, down in Cancun, which was a blast. So I guess a couple of things I remember about that first year uh, that were fun. One of the big ones was I sold really heavily for three weeks and went to year in banquet. I saw the bigger picture. Uh, a guy named Josh Muller was winning all the awards and my hands got tired clapping for him that year. He was having a $100,000 year. Uh, I remember one of the first times ever. And nowadays people do a hundred grand in a couple of weeks, but back then it was a huge <laughs> And uh, I remember seeing the bigger picture and just realizing this was a place that had such a, a future if I chose to take it. So I then left that meeting and didn't do much for about two and a half months. And that spring, I really wanted to win a scholarship. And I had gone from number five full-time student in the nation in the first few weeks to number 48. And I realized I had some work to do with only two weeks left. So picked up a kit, got doing demos again. And in about uh, two weeks, I sold another four grand and finished as the All-American Scholarship. So uh, winner number 20, I got to go to another conference called RSD. And uh, that was really cool. And a rep development or RDC, sorry, rep development conference was great. I learned a lot there and then became an assistant for the summer. That summer was great. I learned a lot about management and really learned I didn't like management. If I'm being honest, at the end of the summer, I said, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm going to become a rep. And uh, they said, well, there's a really cool trip to the factory. You get to see how Cutco gets made and uh, you have to be interested in management. It's in Ole in New York. And I love to travel. So I said, well, okay, I'm interested, but I really wasn't. <laughs> I, I just wanted to go on the trip and see Niagara Falls and I love to travel. So uh, once I went, I learned so much about the company. I learned so much about the history, uh, the pride that the company takes and its people and its products uh, and its programs. And I, and I realized that so many people from the past had paved the way for the future people like me. And they had done so much work putting even in some cases their lives on the line to save the brand, to save the company. And I realized that like this was so much more of a family than it was just a corporation. And that's what really got me. I remember leaving that event mm. saying, this is something that I really kind of, I, I want to pay it forward. I owe it to others to get into management, even if it's just for a summer, just to experience you know, what it's like to be a leader on a high level and have that re responsibility, but also just to be able to pay it forward to so many other people like me that would have a life-changing opportunity or had the chance to. And that was something that was uh, really cool, leaving that conference. Last thing I'll say, you know, that first year I sold about $50,000 with a Cutco. So I won a national award. I uh, hit a lot of promotions, made a lot of money. And really at that point, I, I just thought about what it would be like if I made a long-term commitment to the company more than just a couple of weeks or a semester or a summer. And that's where I started thinking in terms of one year at a time uh, moving forward. Yeah. I love, Nick, how some key events really transformed your career. Like you started out and this was going to be a place just to go ahead and make some money so you could you could go snowboarding and be able to have an income stream. And um, and you went big for your fast start. You won this trip to Cancun and then you went to year-end banquet. And at year-end banquet, you saw a bigger picture for what the job could be for you, at least for the first time. I love the finish at the All-American campaign. I've had a lot of students do that with the fall, you know, in the Western region where they sell a lot in September while they're still out of school. And then they just plummet down and then <laughs> right at the end in December, you know, come back. Yeah. Um, that was that was kind of my story as a rep to my first fall. And then, you know, so you, you, you hit that spring All-American there at the end of the competition. 
And then during your AM experience, you realized management wasn't for you, but going to Olean was the next big event that helped you see the next steps for you. You know, vector events are so key. There's a lot of things in life that we don't even know we don't know. And one of the things I found is that at events, you gain this new perspective that you never really had had before. And it's really beneficial to make sure that as a vector person that you're attending all of your major events, whether it's, you know, a Zoom event or something live uh, that you can be a part of. So pretty cool that those events were impactful for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you became a branch manager the next year, right? I did. Yeah. I decided to take the leap of faith. Mom and dad were not too thrilled at first with me saying, Hey, I'm going to open my own business now and move away from home. Uh, but once again, after talking to my manager, uh, one thing I love about Vector is the leadership that we have and the, the just the willingness to reach out, talk to parents and, and be completely transparent. We have no secrets. We have nothing to hide. We just want, we want to make sure that uh, parents know that we're our interest is taking care of their children and helping them become a better student, not trying to take them away from school. And that was my mom and dad's biggest concern because since sixth grade, I wanted to be an architectural engineer. That was my passion. That was my dream. I'd done a lot in high school to prepare. I was going through a five-year program at the university and they just didn't want a company like any company, but Vector specifically to steal me away from that dream. And uh, that's one of their big concerns. And they were very much reassured after going to a parent meeting with Lloyd Reagan and speaking with uh, you know my manager at the time uh, and doing a parent dinner that the whole goal was to enhance my college experience and not to de- detract or take away from it by any means. So yeah, went branch manager. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I had a great experience with that. So I can you went, you, yeah, you went to Amarillo, Texas for this, right? I did. I did. Yeah. So I um, prepped for the whole spring. I was pretty uh, pretty confident going in. I'd been a number one sales rep. I had won a national award. And uh, one thing I learned is that just because I was good at sales does not automatically make you great at management. And that was what I was banking on going branch. So Dan, one of my, my things was, you know, I'm great at selling Cutco. So of course, I'm going to be great at teaching other people how to sell Cutco. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The reality was that, that when I went branch, uh, I realized that there's a, a lot of skills that are similar. But there's also a lot of skills that you got to be learned and you, they take time. And, and I hadn't done enough preparation. I hadn't done enough role play. I hadn't really created a business plan for that summer that I was you know, bulletproof on that I, I knew I could execute. And uh, I was pretty quickly humbled when I went out there. One of my favorite stories was my lack of preparation. I was so focused on the business, finding an office, getting receptionists, getting furniture, moving out. Uh, I remember it was a Saturday and I packed everything into my U-Haul, first time living on my own, drove out four hours. And when I showed up, I got the key to my office and then realized I needed to find a place to sleep that night and had not found a place. And uh, that that was a pain point because finding a last minute short-term lease for three months uh, cost me about 700 bucks for a small studio per month. And uh, halfway through the summer, I realized that my best friend from childhood, his grandmother lived out there. She had two extra spare bedrooms and she needed help with just some side jobs. And she would have offered me a free room all summer if I would have just been more prepared. And all I had to do was a couple side jobs. So that was fun. I ended up staying in my office for two days. And uh, I remember getting a sheet, hanging it up on one side of my wall with all my furniture stacked behind it while I ran interviews and sleeping in in, uh, in my office and showering at a truck stop uh, before I you know, uh, got a place to stay. So lack of preparation certainly was a bit of a transition uh, challenge, uh, but then I got things going right off the bat. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people I think in Vector that expect success to be real, you know, much easier than it actually is. This happens at all levels. You've seen the reps that come in to Vector as a brand new rep and they've succeeded at everything in their life. They were a good student, they were a star athlete and they just feel like, "Oh, this is going to be the next in the line of things that I do well at." And many of them do very well, but a lot of them are in for a rude awakening when they realize that they're it this does take a lot of effort and you have to put in a lot of, you know, work to prepare. Same thing as you said for branch. I've had so many star sales reps who just thought, well, I was great as a sales rep. Of course, I'll be great as a branch manager. And we always tell people, don't underestimate the challenge and don't overestimate yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That the challenge of branching is great. You do have to put in a lot of preparation. 
And it's great to hear you share these lessons with people because, uh, you know, the more of the people hear that, the more they'll be impacted, I think, to do the hard work on the front end that puts you in a position to succeed when you get into the game. And uh, that's definitely one of the most important parts of being successful as a branch manager. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. But overall, your experience as a branch, I assume, was, you know, an amazing time in your life. And pretty much everybody says that the branch experience is something that's shaped them forever. Without a doubt. You know, I, I, I love my branch summer. And I'll tell you that going through that experience of those three months living away from home, living on my own, uh, hiring receptionists, running my own business, I learned so much about leadership business ownership. But I think the biggest lesson was learning about myself, learning about how I face adversity, how I face challenge. I remember living out there and uh, having some problems at home and feeling like there was nothing I could do about it in the summer, being four hours away and trying to figure out how I could still help and serve, uh, but also maintain my responsibilities as a business owner. And you know, I think about the, the entire experience my branch summer didn't do that well uh, comparatively. I, I had the number one branch territory in the division at the time. Uh, I think it was actually a district territory, but I, I got first choice. And I remember the second territory was Farmington, New Mexico, which population was about you know a third the size. And my buddy Brandon went there, Brandon Jankowski. And uh, I thought I was just going to crush him because of the size of my territory. And he ended up winning the company trip, getting to go to Buenos Aires. And I did not win the trip. I only did about 50 grand. And I just remember thinking like, man, you know what? Regardless of the results, this summer was the best experience. I feel like I've grown more in three months than I have in the last three years of my life. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity and the challenge to, to go about it. And uh, I will say one big lesson is don't look at just the results because all summer long, I think the most people I brought to a conference was five. I never got uh, a trophy. I never got on stage. But at the end of the summer, I had the opportunity to sell it direct 50%. And I went back home and in two weeks, I sold 10 grand. I made $5,000. I went to our conference for champions in the region. And I got up on stage both as a sales rep and as a branch manager because my sales counted. And I won two trophies at the end all because of my performance and my hard work. So sometimes you got to believe in the law of delayed gratification and, and hard work now pays off big time later. And the next summer I was a pilot manager and I ended up making 15,000 bucks in the summer. And I tell my people all the time that I wouldn't trade my branch summer for any other summer I've had in 15 years because who I am today was formed in those early years and those three months. And uh, without those three months, I don't think I'd, I know I wouldn't be the man I am today. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't be the leader that's been able to accomplish everything else in my career. Really great insights there, Nick. And I, I'm just so, I'm so happy that here in Vector, we give people that chance to be a branch manager and to have that experience. I know the, the, the makeup of the experience and how it all works is different now in the virtual era, but the idea of being able to take responsibility for something, to put your all into something and see what you can create, it's just such a great, great way for people to be forged for the future. And so I just, uh, I appreciate that you shared some, some great insights on that. You got it. When did you meet Drew Frank? Great story. Uh, it's so funny because, gosh, Drew's now my best friend. I think I should start there. He was in my wedding, one of the most profound leaders and has made the most in incredible difference in my life in so many ways. Uh, but I met Drew Frank at Urine Banquet in uh, January of 2007, had no clue who he was. Uh, he just popped up out of nowhere. I'd never met the guy, didn't even know the guy, didn't even know the name. And he was sitting right next to my division manager, which as the lead branch candidate, I thought that was my seat. So I remember sitting at this table, walking in the room, seeing this guy who I had no clue who he was. And I was just immediately frustrated, uh, confused, a little, maybe a little bit, you know, kind of like challenged by his presence. And uh, at first I didn't like him, uh, to be honest. It wasn't, wasn't this like, oh, let me meet the guy. It was like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to know your name. I don't know who you are, but I'm going to crush you. And uh, <laughs> obviously... Uh, competition in business is, it can be a positive thing. But uh, once I got to know him and, and we worked together for a few years, you know, now we've become best friends and he's made a profound impact. But uh, yeah, that was his, my branch summer was the first summer he was opening his district in West Denver. And he came out of the gate swinging. There wasn't a silver cup back then for that competition, but he was number one and really just 
dominated. You know, he crushed it. And it was so good to have that influence within the division. Uh, it was so great to be able to see what he had produced uh, and, and also just allow, allowed everybody in our community to really level up and, and think about what was possible uh, that was out there. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, I got the opportunity to go head to head with him in 2008. I was the pilot manager in Denver, Colorado that summer for the previous Rocky Mountain Division manager, Ramon Rouse. And um, I remember moving up there. Uh, at the end of my branch summer, Dan, I once again had no interest in management. I was like, thanks, but no thanks. And Ramon wrapped his arms around me and said, hey, I think that if we do a little bit more work, give you a little bit more preparation and guidance, this could be great. And uh, my DM at the time, district manager, was leaving the business. So I said, well, you know, if I'm the only rep in Albuquerque and I've got some good leadership and opportunity, plus I love Denver, I may as well move up there for a summer. So that was summer of 08. And we had half the city in East Denver. He had the other half the city in West Denver. We went head to head. We had a lot of the CSPs and FSMs on our side. And even with their sales leadership with Curtis JQs and Robert Danbury and Tui uh, Nguyen, now JQs, we almost got beat. I remember that. Like He gave us a run for our money, even as a brand new manager. And uh, it was so much fun to compete side by side. And at the same time, equally frustrating because he was just bringing the heat so well. And uh, had a great summer, made a lot of money, and then went back into my senior year of college uh, that fall. Yeah. And then what made you want to go DM the following year? So I think that after having the experience of leading such a large organization, I knew that my college career was coming to an end. I uh, graduated in 2009. And that was an interesting time in my life. Uh, we, we can circle back later, but I uh, found out I was going to be a father. I was in my senior year of college. I was in a position where I had a lot of experience and I also had a lot of options on the table. So one option is I could continue into my master's program and, and follow my passion. Uh, another option was I could sell at a high level. At that point, I'd sold uh, 220 grand with a Cutco. So I was certainly uh, in a position where I had a good business to build or continue building. And uh, the other option was to decide to maybe give this district leadership thing a, a shot. And what I realized is that with the help of guys like Earl Kelly, who uh, came out and met with me and I picked him up from the airport and drove him around for about a while and, and Lloyd Reagan going on a snowboarding trip with me that fall, is that I really wanted something that I could work hard at for a couple of years and build so I would have the opportunity to not have to work as hard or as many hours and show up and be a great father. And I realized that like, at the time, it was a recession. Not a lot of people were hiring for architects. And I realized that, you know, even if I just gave this district thing a shot for two to three years, I felt like it would be the most stable option to allow me to be a great father, provide for my family, uh, and be able to launch into whatever was next. And if it didn't go well, well, I could always sell Cutco as a back burner job. I could always get back into master's program. Or if it did go well, well, the sky's the limit and I can only imagine what's next. So I really think it was just a decision based on wanting something that was the right choice at the right time, a right place at the right time, and also something that was going to allow me to have uh, an unlimited growth potential with hard work now paying off big time later. Yeah. Well, it's great that you decided to take on the district manager position. I know that you became a truly like the cornerstone of the Rocky Mountain Division you were a partner for Drew Frank there for many years. You became an assistant division manager there and, uh, and really helped build what became a championship organization. Tell us a little bit about your role in the Rocky Mountain division. And, and also, what do you think were some of the things that made that team so great? You know, Dan, it's, it's so great that you asked this question because I think back to the early stages of Rocky Mountain. And I think back to the pillars that we had. Uh, we didn't even know we were pillars at the time, but I remember talking to Patricia James, uh, you know, Patricia Breton, basically now James, and she was in Colorado Springs and having a, a bit of a tough time as a DM. And I remember talking to her and saying, hey, if you hate the snow, uh, Albuquerque is amazing and convinced her to move down. And she, she moved down there in summer of 08, had an incredible summer. We broke a national record together that fall as I was an assistant manager. And she 
was a big part of my journey as well, making the decision to go district. And um, I remember Drew was taking over as division coordinator at the time, just trying to figure out how to be a great DM and also help other people be great. And uh, he came down for a dinner in Albuquerque and uh, it was himself and three of us. It was Patricia Breeden or James. Uh, it was Brandon Jankowski. It was myself and it was Drew Frank. And I'll never forget, he, he sat us down for dinner and he said, hey, I want to talk about our vision. I want to talk about our game plan and never underestimate the power of vision, Dan, because when you set something in stone, you start planting the seeds, you start getting people bought in, anything is possible. And I remember Drew saying a quote I'll never forget. And he said, listen, we're the second to last place division right now in the company, but how do you feel about being number one? And I remember looking at him like kind of confused, like, are you serious? We're second to last place right now, right? Like, you're going to talk to us about being number one. And from that point forward, it was just this never ending, relentless gauntlet of just saying, here's where we're headed. Here's where we're headed. We can't be number one in everything, but we can be number one in productivity, or we can be number one in PR recruiting, or we can be number one here and here. And it was just starting to work through those processes uh, that really got us going. And I think back to it, Brandon Jankowski did go district manager. He did open up for a couple of years. He developed some other great people. And Patricia James, I mean, she's now Hall of Fame and uh, still involved in the Rocky Mountain Division. She was my promoting DM and uh, and Drew Frank, of course, and myself. And now we've got Hall of Fame from Patricia. We've got Drew at, I don't even know, probably closing in on 90 million in career sales and myself as a DVM. And it all started from that conversation early on. So the power of vision, I, I think, was key. And then your second part of the question, like what kind of role did I play? I really think that my number one role was just to compete with the big boys or the big girls, I will, I, I guess I should say. When I opened up as a DM in 2009, Dan, uh, the first thing I knew is that I needed to compete with people better than me. And so that was one thing if I was in my category in my first eight months, I think we did uh, about 440,000 and I was the number five DM. It was a strong class that year for the Silver Cup race. But I remember one of the best things, best decisions I made, and that was sitting down with Patricia every single week. And we would go out to lunch. It was on a Thursday. I this, did this without fail for three years straight. And we would uh, have breakfast or lunch and sit down and just talk shop for an hour. Sometimes it was about business. Sometimes it was about just our personal lives. Uh, but oftentimes when we had that conversation, we would leave both feeling better. And uh, I'll tell you that one of the big things that was a, a never-ending theme was when our business wasn't doing well, it always came back to not having enough fun. And I'll never forget uh, you know, several times where her business wasn't doing well and I was beating her as the rookie and the new guy. And I was like, this is awesome. And then she'd ask me for advice and I'd be like, well, you taught me this, you know, we're probably not having enough fun. And then we'd get back to having more fun and the business would start to grow and the business would start to thrive. So early on, that was a, a staple that really allowed me to level up. And that's why every year for those first three years was a growth year, got better and better. And uh, my development got better, uh, my, my pipeline of assistant managers, the help that I had. And I really think that it was just me comparing myself to people better than me and wanting to emulate who they were. It really helped too that Drew was just setting such a great example, innovating programs, simplifying things. Uh, another big lesson I learned early on is the more simple you can make something, the better off it is. And Drew has a theme. We used to make fun of him all the time for his one-page PDFs. And he would take any program that might be all over the place and he would go out and find best practices throughout the nation, talk to great leaders, come back together and say, how do I fit this on a one-page simple document that anybody can follow? And now he could write a book with one-page documents that I still use all the time in the business, but it was just taking complex things, dumbing them down, simplifying them, and then us executing. And I'll tell you that my goal was just to be Drew. I didn't want to do exactly everything that Drew did, but I, I knew that if I would just follow the master, I could probably double duplicate the model, right? And I never got as great of results as him, but I felt pretty good as long as I could get 80% of the result that he was getting using his program. And because of that, I think Patricia jumped on the boat, I jumped on the boat. And once you've got your pillars and your leaders all following the same rhythm, the same program, you know, working together as a team and just showing that it doesn't really matter who does it. If you do it this way, you're going to get a good outcome. I think that's what really served so many people in the Rocky Mountain. And I'll, I'll say the last thing, you know, once I started doing his programs and, and developing more systems and, and layers, uh, what was really cool is that we started to see 
that the face of the organization completely shifted and we became what we call best in class. And that's something that was a really staple for our division is when we made the decision like, what do we want to be known for? And it wasn't just domination. It wasn't just number one. It wasn't just, you know, crushing everybody. That that was fun. But we wanted to be seen as being classy. We wanted to be seen as being humble, as doing it right. And something that I really respect about Drew is his willingness to share his programs, never having a lock on things, never having a passcode, never saying, I won't give this, right? We were always ahead of the curve with what we were building and innovating. But once we proved it and it worked, we were willing to share or he was willing to share, right? And and, and we let everybody have that access. And because of that, I really believe that Drew has been one of the most profound influences on just the culture of Vector and the programs uh, that we've seen in the last decade. Yeah, amazing stuff right there, Nick. I mean, so much great value in that last few minutes, starting with the idea of the power of a vision, right? And, and what are you uh, promoting that is getting people excited about being part of your organization and where you're going and that's pulling people together. Like that, that's such a key concept. And Drew came in and had the audacity as the second to last division in the company to fire people up about being the number one division in the company. And not only did you guys achieve that goal, but Rocky Mountain has been number one, what, like six of the last seven years or something like that. It's some crazy epic run of success. And, uh, you know, Drew started with that vision that was really, really powerful. I love how you had the weekly lunch or breakfasts with uh, Patricia James, right? I guess she was Patty Breton at the time and spent that time with her every single week talking shop. It's such an important lesson for people to think about who are you spending most of your time with that is moving you forward in your life. And you having that time with her was really key, I'm sure. When you weren't doing well, it came down to not having enough fun, right? Making sure that you're bringing that fun aspect to the business, so key. And then, uh, and then of course, the idea of the programs that you tried to simplify in Rocky Mountain or that Drew tried to simplify in Rocky Mountain so that everyone else could learn and follow in the wake of Drew and you and Patty. And of course, Nick, I mean, the new wave of leaders in the Rocky Mountain division who are there today have people like you and Patty to thank for setting that example and leading the way. And it's just been such a great part of your career, I'm sure. What do you feel like are some of the most common traits of successful district managers? You know, it's a great question. I think when I look at it, one of my favorite things to look for is somebody who has an incredible work ethic. And I think that 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 quote about work ethic eating strategy or skill or talent for lunch is so valuable. I think about why I was successful and why I've seen so many other people be successful in this business and in life. And it's just that they have a relentless desire to work and build their business and put in the effort, uh, the uncommon effort that other people won't. And I think that nothing really replaces that work ethic. Something Drew raised us on is that, you know, we might not be more talented than other people, but we will always outwork them. And that was something that just stuck with me, right? And I've always been raised on having a great work ethic. And the harder you work, you know, the the further you'll go. Uh, I think another thing is just being optimistic. I know that's something we talk about as being a positive attitude all the time. But for me, it was no matter how bad things felt, uh, they're never as bad as you seem, but they might not be as good as you want them to be. And just being optimistic, being able to say that, hey, I really don't like where I'm at right now. But, you know, Bruce Goodman's taught us that there's only two things ever happening in your business. It's only what's exciting right now or what's going to be. And that's something that really stuck with me. Uh, And then the third thing I think is just somebody who is willing to put other people first. And I think that's the true mark of great leadership, putting other people first. And even every summer, there hasn't been one in 15 years that I haven't heard the quote that it's not about you. It's not about you. Great district managers understand they became a manager because they wanted to pay it forward. They wanted to offer an opportunity to people around them that otherwise they might never have found out. And I think as district managers, we see people as who they can be rather than who they are. And we're not afraid to be the leaders that when we see potential, 
We let people know and we say, hey, you've got what it takes. And whether you like it or not, I'd like to target you. And you may not know it yet, but I know it for you. You could be great at this business or you could be great at running an office or you could be a top level sales rep. And I think that when you really see people as who they can become and uh, and you help them get there, that makes the biggest difference. You know, I want to drop Damien Scott's name real quick because he had a great quote a few years ago uh, and he's down in Texas in the Lone Star Division as an ADVM now. And Damien says that we are the pencil sharpeners. So it's one thing to look for sharp pencils. It's another one thing to find pencils and sharpen them up. And when somebody goes through your training and doesn't do well, is that because they just weren't good enough to do the job? Or is that because you weren't good enough to sharpen them up to do the job? And as leaders, I really think that it's our responsibility to pay it forward to people and to give them a chance, give them a shot and be as inclusive as possible because this job has changed so many of our lives. And I know it can change so many more as we move forward. Yeah, I think it's so easy for people to blame externals for any failure, whether it's, you know, a manager saying, oh, that rep wasn't good enough or any type of thing where we don't do well looking at the externals. And sometimes the externals do contribute. There's no question about that. You can pour everything you can into some reps and they may not end up being successful. However, it's so empowering to not blame externals, to look inside instead and to say, what could I be doing better? How could I improve? How might I have been able to impact this person more powerfully? How can I latch onto the next person like them and turn them into somebody who's successful? And as long as you learn to look at internal things, take responsibility, you're empowering yourself to be able to grow and get better. And certainly to me, that is one of the key qualities of somebody who's great, whether as a district manager or in anything else in life, for sure. So we, we've heard, Nick, here about your path through rep and assistant manager and branch into DM. At what point in this process did you become a dad? So I became a dad in January of 2009. And uh, my son, Tyler Quinton, uh, was born on January 20th. That was a tough time. He was in the NICU for a week. I remember that uh, for those first, that last semester of college, that's when I was uh, going to school, preparing to open a business and becoming a father at the same time. It was definitely a challenging point, but well worth it long-term. So you became a dad before you were even a district manager. I did. Yes. Yeah. So I was a dad for about four months or five months before I opened up. Wow. Tell us a little bit about the challenges of managing work and family. Sure. At first, it was a, a conversation with my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Timmy. And without a doubt, none of what I've been able to do would be possible without her support, without her love, without her care uh, and willingness to to trust me. Because early on, she just gave me so much just, I think, time and room for just going out there and building something great. And it was a tough conversation at first of, hey, if you give me the opportunity to work hard now, then it's going to pay off big time later. And, and certainly I've tried to follow in that model for, for the rest of my career, but it was tough. I mean, being a dad in my senior, my last semester, of my senior year, her also being a college kid, and then just, you know, trying to balance it. I would say, Dan, I didn't have balance at first. I was very imbalanced. Uh, if I'm being honest, that first summer, it was wake up at 7 a.m., be at the office at 8, come back at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, and then uh, you know go to bed, wake up at 2, feed our child, and then do it again. And I might only have a half a day off. And I remember doing that kind of schedule, what it felt like was eight months to a year just to start building something great. And once I start, once she started seeing that, once I started seeing it, uh, it was a lot of fun. But I definitely missed out on a lot of time with my kid early on uh, that I will never get back. And now I look back on it and I think about if I would have been more intentional about making the main things the main things and working with people to build something, I wouldn't have had to make some of those early on sacrifices. Don't get me wrong, anything worth building is going to take a ton of effort and time and energy. And I do believe in the philosophy of intentional imbalance, where I'm going to, hey, do a lot more of one thing now and a lot less of another thing with the opportunity to have that reversed later on. But I'll tell you that, you know, early on in those years, for the, throughout the first 12 months to, to my first two summers, it was a lot of just grinding, a lot of long hours, a lot of hard work. Uh, but man, oh man, has it paid off over the last decade. Yeah. You described what I guess could be called a trade-off that happened in the early part of your career. And I just want to say, Nick, that having a child while you're still a college student and before you've even begun beginning to build a business, and as you're in the early stages of beginning to build a business, that's supposed to be hard. 
that's not supposed to be something where the schedule's rosy and everything's awesome. You know, that is supposed to be very hard. That, I mean, it's a difficult thing. It's a, you didn't expect that to happen. You didn't design your life that way. And it's not supposed to be an easy thing. And, and I do think for anybody listening, a great instructive point is that there are some elements of life that are supposed to be difficult, that are supposed to be challenging, that are supposed to put you temporarily out of balance. And the way you gained balance was in enrolling Timmy in supporting the vision, right? It goes back to you having a vision and being able to promote, hey, this is where we're going to go and it'll be worth it and gaining her support on that. And that's what helped you, uh, I'm sure, in, in part to get through that stage and get to times where it became a little easier, a little more in balance, where you had development in your organization and you were able to have a better lifestyle. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for sharing all that stuff there, Nick. That was awesome. What can you say about your transition from district manager in Colorado to a division manager in Oklahoma? Yeah, man, oh man, that was the one promotion in management I did want. So <laughs> every other one, it was uh, a lot of confusion, but I got to 2014 and my wife, Timmy, wanted to go back to college. And I really felt like it was necessary with two kids and a single income to either move up uh, with Vector Marketing or, or to move on. I knew there were some opportunities available and I made the decision to, to open up my own division, uh, come out here to, to Oklahoma. I remember lots of conversation with Trent Booth, lots of great questions with John Kane uh, to make that decision. And one of the things I'll look at is just how would I feel about the best case scenario if I made that decision? And how would I feel about the worst case scenario if I made that decision? And then also best case scenario if I didn't make the decision and I stuck around in Rocky Mountain and worst case scenario. And just looking at all the options and seeing like, how would I really feel one year, two years, three years down the road? And I'm so glad that I had those conversations on the front end because I flew myself and my wife, Timmy out and we explored the city and Lloyd met us here and we kind of looked at what was possible. And uh, I remember making the decision and, and where we drove and where we lived. And once we had made that decision, it was, uh, really important for me to know that this was going to be the hardest transition of my life. And uh, I really don't think it was just a promotion. I really think that it was almost a career change, if you will. I've never had more of a challenge going from district manager to division manager. And one of the things I think that made it so challenging is that I went from the number one organization in the company for years, where I'm used to four and 500 person conferences out to a brand new division where there was one manager before I came out, I opened up four of my own offices and we were going to conferences where there might be 40 or 50 people. And so I'm used to speaking in front of 400 and now I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've had team meetings bigger than this. And so it was just really that immediate contrast of saying best case scenario, you know, like number one division. And now we're starting all over again. And uh, I had Patty there to help me. I had Drew there to help me. I had Lloyd there to help me. I'm so grateful for those guys. But there were many days where I felt just completely like I'd made a mistake and that I just wanted to go back home, right, to Rocky Mountain. And uh, that first eight months was extremely challenging, but so beneficial because I learned a lot more about myself. I learned a lot more about what it meant to be in the spotlight and be the person calling the shots, making the decisions, right? Instead of just a support role. And really that I had the opportunity to build it into anything I wanted. And ever since we've been really passionate about having that three-year vision, three-year mission about how we can emulate and duplicate what we've done in Rocky Mountain uh, out here in the Great Plains. Yeah. Well, you know, I've told many people many times that the transition from DM to DVM is certainly the hardest transition in the company. And just like we talked about with, you know, having a kid when you're still a college student, it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be an easy transition. We see some division managers that seem like they just have this knack for it and do well right away. That's not the norm. And it is a process. You have to go through some bumps and you have to build around the right people and be able to kind of get one really great DM on your team and then another one and then another one. And that's where it sort of leads to greater things. I've heard a wise man say, never underestimate the power of vision. I think it was like 15 minutes ago or something like that. What's the vision for your organization, Nick? I love that question. Uh, you know, I could go off on a tangent. I think any leader could that's really inspired and passionate about what they're building. But I want to build the most exciting, rewarding organization in the state of Oklahoma and Northwest Arkansas uh, for somebody under the age of 25. Personally, professionally, and financially, we want to help them become the best version of themselves. And we want to make sure that they leave here, whether it's two weeks, two months, or two years, 
knowing that they are more prepared and more ready to take on the world uh, and change the world as a leader. And it's really about just having a three-year vision of taking our organization this year and doing what we're calling double vision, uh, doubling what we did last year and having our best year ever. And then from then on out, growing by a million each year. And really our mission is just getting that done through having full deployment and every territory filled, getting a lot more people into our number one events team when it comes to our home shows and booths. Uh, We've been number one for a few years with TGP. And uh, I'm really passionate about that. That group of leaders and Hall of Fame CSPs is unlike any other place in the United States I've seen. And I just love the community and the culture and the family that we are. And I think about in 2019, before the pandemic, we did a million dollars at just 90 events only in our area, not even including Northern Texas. And I think about, you know, now that we have the potential, we found 200 events to be in, we need to staff that too. And when we start to add those layers and add those leaders on over the next few years, we're going to be building by a million a year. And I'm really fired up to compete on a more national level, be in the top 10 rankings as a division manager, uh, and really pursue that 5 million plus year uh, that we're all so passionate about right now. Excellent. Well, it's great to hear that you've got that compelling vision. You do have a lot of great people, particularly, as you said, in the, I know the CSP ranks, there's a lot of great collaboration between the division in Northern Texas, as well as uh, your people, your organization. So there's a lot of potential for growth for sure. And uh, it's, as I said, it's a process in building and it's a fun process. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy it and be able to see some great things happen in the, in the near future. You got um, it. Yeah, Nick, uh, you know, the theme of our podcast is uh, changing lives. And as you look into your own future, you know, how do you aspire to change the lives of the people you're working with through your influence? Yeah. You know, I think that vector marketing is, we we say it's not a knife company, it's a life company. And uh, we're really just teaching the skill sets that you need to take on anything you do in life. And we've got the hashtag uh, from Jeff Gamboa, vector trained. And I think about when I want to grow those around me, the best way to do it is to introduce them to something new, different and challenging and give them an opportunity to just give it a shot. And so, you know, how to aspire to change people's lives through what we do. I want to be able to be an example. Uh, that so many others can look up to, and not just as a great business owner or a great sales rep, but I really believe that Vector has made me a better father, made me a better son, made me a better husband, a better neighbor, you know, a better friend, a better teammate. And I, I don't know who I would be if I hadn't had found Vector Marketing so early on, but I certainly know it would not be at the level that I'm at now. And Vector Marketing gives us a platform to be able to become the best versions of ourselves every single day. And it's my mission to make sure that I can spread that with as many possible people as I can. And I think about how I'm okay with people not being interested in what we do because it's not right for everybody, but I'm hundred percent not okay with people not knowing the job exists and not knowing that the opportunity for growth is out there. And that's why we want to make sure we just spread the word to as many people as we can find and uh, continue to spread the vision. Excellent. Well, Nick, you know, you were lucky to have had some great people in your life in the early stages of your vector career, people like Patty, Uh, and Drew in particular, the Rocky Mountain Division was lucky to have had you there to help build it. And your current team is lucky to have you there as their leader. I know that uh, it's going to be a great ride for you. and There's going to be a lot of success ahead and uh, grateful to have had you here as a guest on the podcast, Nick. Thanks a lot. You got it, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Nick Matlack, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that one. I love how Nick was willing to share how success in sales does not equate to success in management automatically, that there is a whole new level of knowledge and execution that has to happen. The skill set is similar, but it takes a lot of preparation to be able to put yourself in position to succeed right out of the gate when you transition into management. And it's not something that just comes naturally. That's a great lesson for anybody moving into management who's had success in sales previously. Put in that preparation to put yourself in a position to succeed. I enjoyed hearing about Nick's weekly get-togethers with Patty Breton, where they talked shop and helped each other through a lot of their own challenges and discussed how to make sure that they were both becoming successful. Nick described uncommon effort as one of the key qualities of a successful district manager. And one of the ways in which you are able to have uncommon effort is by eliminating everything in your life that is not adding value. Because you know you could have uncommon effort by working 18 hours a day, but that probably is not sustainable for very long. I think uncommon effort is a combination of long hours at times 
especially when you're new at something, being willing to do that. But mainly it's about making sure that we are not engaging in things that are not contributing value in our life. And that's how you're able to put the right level of effort into your work while still having a decent lifestyle. Of course, Nick talked about the power of a vision and the vision that Drew Frank came in to Rocky Mountain with, the vision that Nick has for his Great Plains organization, the vision that he shared with his wife, Timmy, about being able to balance children and family in those early stages and shout out to Timmy Matlack for what she has brought to Nick and his life and his organization. They now have two children and I'm sure have a much more balanced lifestyle and are continuing to build on that. There was a point where Nick talked about taking the leap to division manager and how he envisioned all the scenarios. What would be the best case scenario if we moved? What would be the worst case scenario if we moved? What would be the best case scenario if we stayed? What would be the worst case scenario if we stayed? And I do think that there's a process here that anyone can follow in making any difficult decision in life. And it's to live through it in your mind. It might seem a little strange to present it that way, but if we could go through any difficult decision and go through one scenario, rewind the clock, go through the other scenario, and then rewind the clock again, and then really make the choice, what do we want to do? Well, we've lived through them both in our, you know, it'd be easier to make the choice. Well, you can live through your scenarios in your mind. You can take time away from the hustle and bustle of life, and you can just think about what would this road be like. And you can envision the experiences. You can feel what it would feel like to make one decision. Then you can feel what it would feel like to make the opposite decision. What could go well? What might not go well? And living through those decisions in your mind can put you in a place to be able to make the decision now that's going to be best for you. Nick did something like that. He described something like that. And I think it's a great process to follow in making any difficult decision that you might have in your life. I hope you've benefited from hearing Nick Matlack's story and his lessons here today. Thanks very much for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.